0: When I was a kid, I found solace from a house that was pretty stressful, where my dad was sick and my mom really didn't know how to handle it, by taking a backpack and going on walks up the mountain behind our house. And I did that every single day. My job was as a kid to experience whatever mystery and magic and maybe, you know, fairy realm just happened to be hovering right under the surface. There was a cave on the hill behind my house. There was this huge rumor that it had been the cave that had been used by counterfeiters during the 20s, and that they had produced all this counterfeit money, and then the feds had figured out that they were there and gone and found them and rooted them out and and dynamited the cave, but that the printing press was still locked inside the cave, and so... A huge part of my childhood was spent in some combination of sitting on rocks and playing flutes and pretending that I was about to meet a hobbit and also searching into these dark spaces all over that hill for evidence of the way that people had used the landscape. That investigatory, mysterious, maybe there's some hidden story here and maybe it's dark, maybe it's going to pull me into closer connection with some tragedy that happened here that instinct is as old as anything in my bones it is the first instinct that i have
1: you are listening to love and radio i'm nick Vanderkolk. today's very special halloween episode the story of the box This audio adventure features Erin Caffall, who shares her encounter with a most innocent box, found not directly on the ground, but on the grounds, and inside the belly of a tree, of Edna St. Vincent Millay's lovely upstate New York wood. That's it. Nothing at all to be frightened of. Now please listen with headphones on.
0: I found out that I got into the residencies, I was in the middle of my book proposal, um, and two weeks after my mother called, she had had an emergency hospitalization and they discovered that she had colon cancer. And maybe a week after that we found out that it was stage four and it had already metastasized into her liver. My mother was devastated that she was getting sick right at this moment when all of these really great things were happening in our family. Um, And she, every time I talked to her, said, this is an amazing moment for you. You have to finish the book. I was like, well, I think I'm going to be really isolated in, in the residency, and I'm really worried that I won't be able to hear from you. And she said, you can't miss this residency. You are not allowed to not go to this residency. You have to go.
1: All I could see from where I stood
0: Was three long mountains and a wood I turned and looked another way And saw three islands in a bay So with my eyes... The residency is located in uh, upstate New York The Malay Colony for the Arts It's stunningly beautiful You're down a dirt road in the middle of nowhere Nobody comes up that road you kind of go up onto this mountain and just sit surrounded by forest it has this incredible history of being an artist space from you know from when Edna lived there and invited people up from New York to come and stay with her and work or party or you know the heart of the space is Edna St. Vincent Millay's old barn classic you know looks like the, an upside down boat or whale bones each artist has a bedroom on the first floor and the second floor right above their bedroom is where their artist studio is. It was a really hugely productive time. The first time in my working life, I could print up most of the pages I was working on and pin them all over the walls, and and then you know we you take a break from your writing day, and you could go to the doorways of the. Studio you were working in, or to your neighbor's studio, and there would be all of the names written down into the wood of the door jams by the people who had had the studios before. So, if you were feeling stuck or feeling like you had lost track of the privilege of being able to be there, you just, I'd just walk over to my neighbor's studio and look at Leonard Cohen's name written on the door jam and think, okay, cool, good, go back to work. And I wrote, I wrote a ton. After a lot of walking the property, talking through this big question and what was going to be the organizing principle of the book, I had a huge breakthrough. Oh my God, I solved it. I've got it. But it was about two days into that that I um, went on a walk. It was a beautiful day. It was absolutely sunny. It was the warmest it had been. The snow had melted. And I was walking up the hill and noticed that this ancient apple tree that was there. The bottom of it had been uncovered. The snow that had been around the base of the apple tree had all melted. This particular tree also had a a huge gap at the bottom of its trunk that was open, almost so that it looked like there wasn't anything of the trunk left. It It had been hollowed out. I went closer to it and noticed that inside there was a box. It was perfectly lit by the sun in that one moment in the early afternoon, and it was a small metal box. I think it was red. I walked up to it, bent down, and picked it up. It felt as if my hands were holding something heavier and warmer than anything else around me at the moment. Like if you picked up a an engine that was already running. It felt really heavy and really dense and really like it was producing an energy of its own. When I opened the box, it was full. It was full of small pieces of paper, plastic-wrapped photographs. The photographs and papers had been placed inside Ziploc bags. They seemed to be very carefully arranged and kind of packed in almost like it was incredibly tight how much material was in there. I couldn't tell what was on any of them. It looked like an overwhelming amount of material, and it looked so specific and so deliberate and so carefully done. What does it look like when you make a time capsule for the dead? Maybe this is what it looks like when you make a time capsule for the dead. I felt like I had been hit in the solar plexus with a panic. breathing really shallowly, I started having a cold sweat break out. I could feel it underneath my coat. I could feel it in my socks, inside my rubber boots. Even now, remembering it, that sense of not being able to breathe fully and a cold pressure on my chest is is back. The immediate sense I had was, oh God, I should not have touched this and I instantly put the top back on the box and put the box back into the tree. I walked away as quickly as I possibly could. Maybe if I can get some distance from this, then, then what I'm feeling will just turn out to be a momentary panic and won't be connected to anything. Just a, just a little slip. Just me mistakenly standing inside a fairy ring for a second. No harm done. Nearly at the same moment, the weather started to change there suddenly was a wind that started coming up through the valley, up the long dirt road. That apple tree was so precariously balanced, it's so old, that it did that, that move where even the biggest branches started to shift and, and buckle in the wind. I was shaking. I was sweating underneath my sweater. I kept walking around in circles thinking, I just unleashed a ghost. I just unleashed a ghost. And I knew that as sure as I knew that the wind changed, or that I was colder, or that there was sweat on the back of my neck. The thing that I had unleashed was following me. It felt like it followed me through the forest, and my instinct was not to go back to where I slept, but to go back to where I was working it felt safer it felt like um, a less intimate space oddly like i didn't want to invite whatever was trailing me back to where i was going to try and sleep at night i got onto the phone and and started texting my husband and uh, saying i've unleashed a ghost you need to tell me what to do to make this right and he texted me back first to not panic um, that it probably wasn't a ghost. But look, if it was a ghost, what's the worst that can happen? Let's let's address it as if it is a ghost. It didn't surprise me at all that he was willing to, to answer that question. And that's not because we sit around having conversations about ghosts on the regular. But he's a poet, and he's a Southerner for generations back. And there is enough of a familiarity with the Southern Gothic and um, the complexity of experience and the poetry of unseen realms that I felt like he was not going to hesitate he was going to go with it so he told me to burn something at the windows and doors of my spaces of the rooms that I was in um, to if I had any uh, oil to put ritual oil on the thresholds and the window sills so that nothing could come in that I didn't want to have come in He said, maybe you should do that in your your living space too. So I went down and did exactly the same thing to the windows and doors of my bedroom. The panic still wasn't abating though. That sense that I was still accompanied by an energy that I didn't have any control over, didn't go away. And then I started collecting all of the things that I had put in my pockets on the walks that I'd taken and made a little altar. I think I was borrowing from every person that I'd ever known who was more of a crystal witch than I am. My friend who is training to be a Reiki practitioner, she has a smudge stick. I don't have Palo Santo here. I don't have access to sage. What have I got? Oh, pine. Okay, that'll be great. I don't have any crystals here. I didn't I didn't travel with crystals to my residency. So I found some quartz on the road. That, that seems like that'll stand in. Quartz is a crystal. That'll work and then just lining them all up, every single thing that seemed like it had any potency. Then I started talking out loud to the ghost. Thank you so much for coming. I don't need you to be here. I'm very sorry I disturbed you. Felt really awkward. I felt like I was having a tea party. Thanks so much for coming. (laughs) I'm okay. And Even as I was saying it, though, I didn't really believe that I felt that way. It felt disingenuous. It felt... Empty. I, I think I opened my pocket knife and put it at the threshold of my bedroom when I went to bed. I went to sleep with a knife at the door and the quartz along the window sills and a couple of other little things that made me feel safe in my hands when I went, went to sleep in my bed. And then at 2 o'clock in the morning, the wind started up. It started to moan and howl. It, it sounded like a human voice. Like a low, faraway, constant scream. But it didn't stop. It it just kept going for the whole night. And it was the endurance of it and the quality of it not shutting down that made me think it was somebody screaming outside my window. But It was like somebody who was in response to a deep pain. It's almost like that kind of crying that someone does when they are... Wounded by a loss, and they just can't get out of the mode of weeping about it. The way a person would look if they were making that noise would be doubled over into a fetal position. I sat bolt upright in bed, and it was really cold, and every piece of exposed skin that I had was freezing got out of the bed, put slippers on, went to the door, moved the knife, opened my door from the common hallway, looked out, and the wind was pouring through the front door. Snow was pouring through the front door. It was pitch black outside and freezing cold. This is not an ordinary windstorm. It didn't wake anybody else up in the middle of the night. It woke me up. So I went back upstairs uh, in my pajamas, (laughs) sat down and tried to think about why the ghost was not going to leave me alone. I stayed up that night, walking around the studio, panicking and telling myself, there is something you are not looking at or thinking about in terms of the darkness of this place, of this moment in your life. There's something that's going to keep following me until I figure it out. And I fell asleep on the couch in my studio thinking about that. And woke up in the morning and the wind was gone. Every day for the rest of the residency, it felt like a presence that had some kind of consciousness to it about a week after this had happened it had started feeling more like it was just a dull panic that was going to follow me around that i was going to have to get used to around that same time i was able to get in touch with my mother for the first time in three weeks it was really close to my birthday and um she had started to clearly take a very bad turn couldn't remember my birthday, couldn't remember what time of the year it was, how she was doing. So my project started feeling like it was falling apart and her health began to feel like it was falling apart. In that mood, one of the other residents who was a poet asked me if they could go for a walk with me in the woods. It was starting to be warmer. The snow had melted again. It was another day, very much like the day that I found the box. We walked past the apple tree and I turned to them and said, you see that apple tree over there? There's a box inside. And they said, really? And immediately walked up the little embankment to the foot of the apple tree. And I said, I don't know if it's, I, I opened the box and I feel like I've been, and I almost didn't really get the sentence out. Maybe we should put that back. Maybe we shouldn't be opening that. And they were unconcerned, utterly. They opened the box and started looking through what was inside. There was no wind coming, there was no sense of panic, and as they took things out, it became obvious that it was letters, pictures, writing, each of them in their own individual Ziploc bags that seemed to be from people who might have been at the colony as artists. They looked at the things in the box and then put the things back in, put the top back on, put the box back in the tree, and was like, okay, let's go. And we walked up the mountain, past all the spring peepers and flowers starting to emerge and little frogs starting to come out and tons of chipmunks, and it was absolutely idyllic and beautiful. We walked up to the top of the ridge. We walked back down the ridge, back to the studio, never looked at the box again, and we never talked about it. and then it was time to leave packed up and got to the bus took the bus to another bus to my mother's apartment we'd usually reunite in the entryway and when i arrived at the sliding doors we locked eyes and she fell i had to put my bags down and basically carry her back in she had Gone to the store by herself to get tiramisu and um, bring it for me for a birthday treat because my birthday had been the day before, so she remembered enough, and she'd used you know her last bit of strength to try and drive herself somewhere to get sweets. Um, so we tried to make it a celebratory you know evening, but it was clear that that was not she was not coming back, um, and she never did come back from it. I think in the moment that I lost her it just it had a bubble around it of real peace but the sense that the box unleashed in me which was that something was terribly off and everything was going in the wrong direction and you know almost like a darkest timeline kind of version of things where everything was going worse than it should and harder than it should and faster than it should that never left. If I hadn't opened that box We would have had more time. It would have been easier. We would have had more planning. We would have... It wouldn't be happening like this. So when a friend told me that she was seeing this Reiki practitioner that she referred to as the witch, I was like, "Uh uh-huh. I've been saying I needed that for six months, so okay. And I went to that first uh, appointment and I literally said I need, I I said it as a joke. (laughs) I've been telling everybody I need an exorcist. That's not something you do, is it? And she's like, yeah, actually there's a Reiki, um, there's a Reiki system for breaking attachments and entanglements. So, yeah, we could do that. And I can't even tell you what it was she did uh, because I closed my eyes. I remember crying a lot and feeling like that accompaniment, which I I feel like was isolated over in my left shoulder someplace, was being moved. And when I was done with that first session, I felt lighter than I had since I had opened the box. And I stopped telling people that I was haunted. It's funny. my, My husband said something to me. He said, you know, Artist residencies are intense. They're places where people are away from their home, they're out of their usual experience, and they're asking for something larger than themselves to come in. And it's been a place where that's been happening over and over and over again, every month for years and years. Each of those people are at a creative peak and maybe the most intense set of questioning they've ever had about what their purpose is and whether they're going to make anything that matters. And so he said, of course, that was what you were haunted by. Of course, that's what was in that box. It's plausible to me that a whole group of people took the collective energy of managing the creative process in a deep, spiritual, intense way and put it in a box. and it sat there for as long as the snow covered it up, and I opened it. I think that there are people who are just more vulnerable to ghosts at particular moments in their lives, sort of like having your immune system run low. The veil between me and things outside of reality was pretty thin. I was in a place of asking to be open to a lot of really powerful, sad, intense feelings. I think it's that vulnerability that would have made me the most likely person to get the flu. Do you know what I mean? It didn't wake anybody else up in the middle of the night. It woke me up.
1: That's it for Love & Radio. This episode was produced by Ann Ford, Phil Demachowski, and Stephen Jackson. Phil and Stephen did the sound design, which includes music from Stephen's new project, Q Shop. For more information about the music we feature on the show, plus transcripts of all the episodes, please visit our website, loveandradio.org. You can also sign up for our mailing list there. Love & Radio is a labor of love and radio, and made possible thanks to our Patreon members, with extra special thanks to Ali Mothra Perry, Andrew Simmons, Casey Anderson, Dan Palmino, Jacqueline Leake, Jason V, Sam Hoffman, Sandra Schroeder, and Edging Candy Tuft. If you want to join the core group of folks helping make the most innovative audio in podcast land, become a member by going to loveandradio.org member. I'm Nicholas Sardine, Punch Punch, Vanderkolk. Kolk. Happy Halloween, and thanks for listening.